Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for July 3rd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta. Joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. So it news is slow this week. Uh, it seems like most everybody in Hollywood has taken this whole week off. Whenever there's a holiday, that's what happens. They just take the whole week off. Uh, July 4th is tomorrow. Uh, actually, wh- what is your guys' plans? What are you going to be doing this July 4th? Uh, I am going to be doing a, a shrimp boil at my apartment and uh, invite a friend of mine over. Um, it's just, you know, a small thing. But, uh, but yeah, we like to sort of go all out on big holiday uh, meals uh, at my place, my wife and I. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I think in terms of like, actually, I, I don't know, we might go see like First Reformed or something, you know, a movie that, that I'm trying to catch up with that I haven't, that I know we've talked about a little bit on the podcast recently that everybody seems to love. I just haven't had time to see that. So maybe we'll go see a movie. Um, but mostly it's just going to be sort of um, taking it easy. I, I don't know about you, Peter, but for me in Los Angeles, it's sort of tough to do the whole firework thing. You sort of like, you have to go to the Rose Bowl uh, or, you know, find some place that overlooks a huge part of the city to see fireworks. And it, it for me, maybe I'm, maybe it's just my old age, but it's <laughs> becoming more of a hassle than it's worth, I think. So uh, yeah. I'll probably like not actually give a crap about fireworks. But uh, but yeah, what about you guys? Yeah, one year I did Mulholland Drive where you drive up there and like try to find parking to overwatch the, the fireworks. And honestly, if you can get parking up there, it's spectacular because... Uh, at least back then, there was fireworks going on at Universal Studios. There's fireworks going on in like Glendale or Burbank area. Like there's fireworks going on all around, and it was almost like this thing where you could see like five fireworks shows from you know the top of this yeah. like, mini mountain going on around you. Um, but yeah, I would never do that again. So <laughs> uh, I'm planning on doing nothing. I'm planning on uh, just uh, maybe one of my friends is having barbecue. I'm hoping I can head over to there. And uh, my girlfriend Kitra is hoping to buy a new car. So we might be going car shopping because there's uh, sales on July 4th. As yeah. there is every holiday. Uh, HD, what are you doing? 
So my cousins are hosting a pool party and barbecue, so I'm going to that. And then I have another friend in D.C. who's holding a barbecue as well, uh, at which point we're going to go see the fireworks. It's a lot easier to see fireworks in D.C. just because we, like, we have no skyline. There's actually like a legal mandate that you can't have buildings that are higher than the Washington Monument. So it's a lot easier to see like fireworks from anywhere in uh, D.C. if you just like go to a rooftop or something. And they always host fireworks on uh, the mall, the National Mall in D.C., as well as on the the Southwest waterfront. And I've seen them both, both places, but the mall is like a one and done kind of thing because it just becomes incredibly crowded and you have to get there like five hours ahead to get like the tiny, tiniest bit of shade there. And just like, it's horrible to get out to because like there's a big funnel event. It's really fun because you're right under the fireworks, but uh, something I'm never going to do again. I'm just going to watch from a distance on some like apartment rooftop from now on. Well, very cool. I hope everybody out there listening enjoys their July 4th. But let's get on to the news. Let's start off with um, Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, uh, has landed their uh, mad scientist villain. They have cast Jim Carrey. What is going on here, Ben? Yeah, so the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is coming soon. Uh, it is a blend of live action and CG. And Jim Carrey is in final negotiations to play Dr. Eggman, a.k.a. Robotnik, who is the villain of the Sonic the Hedgehog franchise. Um, I It's still unclear whether he's actually going to be in makeup or if this is going to be something similar to or if i guess maybe he theoretically could just be voicing this character who could be completely cg um it also could be something like the mask where it's like jim carrey uses his uh famously flexible face and and all that to great effect you know blending in with the cg technology as well (laughs) so maybe him him him, you know his actual character could be a a blend of live action and cg uh i mean i guess sure yeah let's go for it (laughs) sonic the hedgehog jim carrey is dr robotnik yeah that's fine i mean this character he looks nothing like Jim Carrey based on the the character from the actual games. Uh, he's this really short, rotund figure with this huge mustache and these crazy eyes. But uh, so that, you know, Jim Carrey, obviously like a tall, lanky performer. Um, but I, <laughs> this, I, this I mean, whole I movie is Jim so Carrey... confusing. I can imagine Jim carrying like this humongous like fat suit because he's kind of like this round character, right? He's yeah, like, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe it'll be something kind of like uh, the Grinch. I mean, he's not beyond doing those kind of cartoony characters. Uh, but my question is, like, th- is anybody excited for this? Like, I mean, I guess this probably isn't for us, right? The people yeah, that actually so. played the people that actually played Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, it's for <laughs> the kids that don't even know what Sonic the Hedgehog is, right? Or don't even know what a Sega Genesis is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Um, okay, let's move on to uh, box office because, uh, you know, we're playing the summer movie wager. Uh, I've lost uh, because I, <laughs> I definitely did not put Incredibles 2 too high and, uh, you know, Jurassic World might be higher than it needs to be as well. Uh, so let, let's talk about what's coming up because there's a lot of box office tracking that has come up that HT you have written about. Let's talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp. How well do they expect Ant-Man and the Wasp to do? So Ant-Man and the Wasp is eyeing an 80 million opening weekend haul, which is peanuts compared to Avengers Infinity War, which opened to about 250 million, but it's still significantly better than what um, the original Ant-Man did, which is um, a 57 million opening. So it's essentially kind of in the middle, but uh, it 
in comparison to a lot of other Marvel films, especially in Phase 3, it will make it the lowest opening movie since 2016's Doctor Strange, which opened to $85 million. Uh, but however, Marvel is still kind of uh, seeing this as a success because you don't need every movie, especially a standalone, lighthearted film like Ant-Man, to be a huge box office behemoth like Infinity War. And this is still expected to be uh, somewhat of a win for Marvel. Yeah, no, I would consider it a win. Any sequel that does better than the original is, you know, a success in my book. Um, and, you know, I, I place this way down on my list, I think, because I expected it not to do that much better than the original. And hearing it's doing, you know, $30 million more than the original or expected to do $30 million, it, it could grow, uh, you know, obviously when it opens uh, later this week. Uh, but we will have to see. Also, another film I think I might have underestimated was the Dwayne Johnson movie Skyscraper. Um, I really didn't think that a lot of people were going to go see that this summer. But it turns out this could be one huge hit. HT, what do we know? Well, you got to take this in uh, sort of pro- in con- context with the rest of the uh, films that are out this summer. So uh, Skyscraper is on track to be the biggest original live action hit of 2018. But that's compared to the top five current hits, which are mostly sequels and blockbuster movie and uh sorry superhero movies uh and other and animated films so uh this is going to make skyscraper immediately go to the top uh it's on track to open with around 32 million uh which is significantly less than what we've been talking about with other with all the marvel films and everything but it's still bigger than uh its biggest its highest competitor which is book club which opened to 13 million (laughs) uh so (laughs) this um this is definitely like part of sort of Dwayne Johnson's um, star power and uh, the films that he's had with seen success like Rampage, Central Intelligence, and Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And, um, well, although perhaps not Baywatch, but he's (laughs) had more hits than uh, than misses. And this seems to be one of the hits, uh, according to Forbes. Yeah, he's the closest thing to an action star I think we have today. Um, you know, this was the official podcast of Movie Pass. I don't think it is anymore. Uh, Movie Pass is going down in flames, as it seems. Uh, but don't count them out just yet because it looks like they've raised over a billion dollars for the next two years. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so they haven't raised the money yet, but a new article from The Hollywood Reporter says that Helios and Matheson Analytics, which is the parent company of MoviePass, has filed uh, this shelf registration that will offer institutional investors equity in debt. And basically what that translates into is they're trying to raise $1.2 billion to eventually have MoviePass become profitable. And the CEO of Helios and Matheson says that he will likely be able to access that entire amount over the next year or two. So that's, um, I mean, that's a big deal. That's a lot of money. And he is very, very, uh, it, it, I mean, the quotes that he has in this piece are um, are very smug because he's basically saying, like his quotes are, they've been, been predicting our demise for eight months and we're still standing. Now we'll have a big war chest behind us. This is a game changer. Now they know that we're not going away. So he, he is very much, um, you know, pushing the narrative that MoviePass is not going anywhere despite everyone's, uh, you know, guesses to the contrary. Um, and But, you know, just because the company made this filing doesn't mean it's a guarantee that they're going to be able to raise $1.2 billion over the next couple of years. But it also does indicate that maybe MoviePass is going to be able to last 
way longer than many of its critics thought, including us. Um, you know, the what what is that money going to be for? Uh, a lot of people are wondering that. Uh, this article says basically that some of it is going to be set aside for even more acquisitions. We know that MoviePass has been acquiring all these different companies. Um, they recently acquired MoviePhone in an attempt to basically turn that entertainment website into its own version of Rotten Tomatoes. And then much of the $1.2 billion is going to go to MoviePass Films and MoviePass Ventures, which is the like subsidiary companies that let them co-acquire movies alongside distributors and to actually, you know, produce original films themselves. So it seems like they're basically just going to be pumping all of this right back into the machine that they're help, you know, that they're helping prop up basically. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I kind of love that the, the head of movie pass is like a captain going down with the ship and, you know, I, I imagine him on the bow of the ship, you know, with like a sword in his hand, being like, <laughs> <laughs> doing, like screaming this message of like, you know, I'm, we're not going down. We're not dead yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, okay. like, it seems like they are in dire straits. I don't know. Like, even if they can get this money, it's only a matter of time that they burn through it. Like, <sighs> they're obviously going to invest it in Gotti, too. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Yeah, those investments in original content seem to be like the worst investments that MoviePass could be making. I think they they were probably trying to show Hollywood that they could, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was a scare tactic to, to the Hollywood studios to try to get them to make deals with them. Like we could make our own movies, but it, it didn't seem to work out that well. So I don't. Yeah, I don't and know. They, the the CEO of MoviePass keeps comparing them to Amazon, saying that like you know Amazon and and companies like Uber and and things like that, you know, other startups, you know, operated for years at a loss with before they eventually became profitable. But it, I just I don't know. I feel like there's such um, maybe not animosity. There's definitely some animosity toward MoviePass in some corners of the internet. But yeah. uh, I think just largely like it, it you know, they their subscriber base continues to increase. So they're, you know, they're doing something right. It's just I, I wonder, especially with AMC recently launching their new subscription uh, movie ticket subscription program, whether or not that is going to um, put a significant dent in MoviePass's armor over the next, you know, X number of months. You mentioned the animosity towards MoviePass. And I saw like tons of people when AMC came out with their program. I saw a ton of people on my Twitter feed being like, see, I'm glad I never joined MoviePass. Uh, I knew that they were going to do stuff like the surging and it was going to go down in flames. I'm glad I never subscribed, which just seems like the stupidest statement to say because like, oh, I'm glad I never for the last year got, you know, as many movies as I wanted for $10 a month until they failed. Well, I guess maybe they could be saying I'm glad that MoviePass, a, a company that has maybe a questionable track record and, and again, like a, a somewhat uncertain future, doesn't have all of my information. Maybe that's what they're Possibly. celebrating. Yeah, what information do they really have? It, it seems like, I don't know. And the the other thing I wanted to say, it's, it's, it seems kind of ridiculous to me that they keep on, uh, that Mitch Lowe keeps on saying, calling them a startup because MoviePass has been around since like 2010 or 2011. I know that, like, you know, they just recently kind of rebranded and, you know, got that $10 a month uh, service, but th they are not, like, in the early days. They've been around uh, 
you know, almost a decade at this point. Right. So it, it, it's just a little ridiculous that they are kind of painting themselves as like the underdogs. And uh, th- they certainly are not. Uh, <laughs> but let's move on to uh, Marvel and uh, Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is doing press for Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, he was asked about Black Panther and if he thinks that deserves Oscar recognition. And of course he does. Uh, H.G., what do we know? So Kevin Feige, in the typical Feige fashion, uh, responded to a question about whether he thought that Black Panther would deserve Oscar recognition or even a few wins. And he said, uh, quote, I think there are a lot of amazing artists that help make the movie, and it would be wonderful if they could be recognized. Almost everyone involved in that movie bringing that movie together is great, and it would be wonderful to see if they're recognized. We'll see. This genre, typically not. And then he goes on to name the designers, the costume designers, Ryan Coogler, and the amazing actors in the film, including Michael B. Jordan, Chadwick Boseman, Lupita Nyong'o. And it seems like he's kind of just, like, reaching for all the categories <laughs> that, like, a superhero movie could could get nominated for, uh, including VFX and some of the big five, like best director and uh, best screenplay or best actor. So uh, he seems to be putting like all of his his hands into the pot here and just saying like, yeah, I hope they all get nominated. Did, did, but, he, did um, he mention best VFX? Because he... he did say yes. He said, uh, oh yeah, maybe in front of a cute computer, but the visual effects are amazing. So that's they, they are like... not. That is, that is the <laughs> one part of that movie that kind of falls apart in my mind is like the VFX yeah. in that last third of the movie. HD, uh, I know you were a big fan of this movie. Uh, do you think it should get some award nominations, and for what? I think Ryan Coogler could definitely score a Best Director nomination. His direction in this film is just like astonishing just because he is able to juggle all of the subplots and themes that are going on in this movie, including like the tribal conflicts, the issues with like African-American diaspora and conf- and just kind of um, dealing with like the oppression of minorities as well as like all of those things. And it feels like it all coheres well and not is not too busy or messy. And that's why I think uh, Kugler, who's just an amazing director and honestly deserved a nomination for Creed as well, yeah. uh, would would definitely score, a, should definitely score a nomination at least. Um, so, and Michael B. Jordan also is amazing. So if he was able to squeeze in on um, the Best Supporting Actor nominations, that would also be, I think, um, choice for Black Panther. So um, yeah, this it's, it's a possibility just because... Uh, uh, the Oscars are generally warming up to genre movies. Last year, we saw Logan uh, get a best screenplay nod, and um, Wonder Woman got shut out completely. Yeah, and uh, we saw also like more genre sort of openness as well with Get Out getting a tons of nominations and even winning the best after, best original screenplay uh, win. So that's um, I think it's something that the Oscars are, are just like warming up to. And it's possible Black Panther could be kind of at that turning point where they might get some of the, the big five uh, categories. I don't know. I feel like I'm cynical and it's a comic book movie and, you know, Nolan's The Dark Knight didn't win and uh, maybe costumes and stuff. I just feel like, you know, I know – the Academy has been, you know, a record amount of uh, acceptance into the Academy. And, you know, they're trying to combat this Oscars so white thing. And uh, not that that's the problem for Black Panther, I don't think. The problem, I think, is that maybe the the Academy looks at this as too much of a, uh, you know, blockbuster movie 
and uh, they're more about the serious films. Uh, ben, what do you think? Yeah, the only thing I can think of as on the other side of that coin is that uh, in the most recent Oscar ceremony, there were a ton of mentions of Black Panther because that movie had, I forget if it had already come out or if it was just going to and, and you know, everybody was super excited about it. Um, I, I think it had already come out at that point and was performing very, very well. So the Oscars are always uh, grasping for relevance, right? And I think the most recent Oscar ceremony was one of the um, least watched in a bunch of years. Uh, that trend has has seemed to uh, befall the Academy over the over the past I don't know five years. It's like, man, people aren't really watching anymore. And the idea of nominating Black Panther, a movie that performed so well at the box office, for as HT is saying, one of those big five would theoretically get a lot more younger people to tune in. So maybe they could do it um, as some sort of not that there's like a a um i guess like a a secret society that you know of oscar <laughs> voters that like you know determines you know whether or not these things get nominated for strategic reasons like that but uh the overall but there's definitely vibe... a buzz in the air in these communities right. like these hollywood yeah. communities yeah but like you're right a lot of people are like that like oh the academy just nominated this because of blah 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 but right. you know all these people don't talk to each other they're thousands of people and you know they're voting from uh you know a ballot at home or whatever it's like yeah uh yeah um you know ryan coogler i think has the best chance in my mind out of that top uh, for five. me i feel like i feel like production design and costumes are like th- th- oh yeah yeah those, but i'm talking about for the top five like what do yeah, you, yeah, do you yeah. think anything else for the top five I would love to see them get a screenplay nomination because, like she was saying, the the movie, you know, for the same reasons that he uh, should get a director nomination, having to balance all of that, the script does so much of that work for them. And Kugler co-wrote that screenplay and, you know, the Academy loves uh, auteurs and stuff like that. So I, I think that would be a really cool accomplishment. I'm not sure. Uh, there's still a lot of a lot of 2018 left to come. So we're we're not sure what the full contender list is going to be yet but i would love to see them at least get a nomination yeah let's move on uh from marvel to a marvel director and that is scott derrickson who is not going to be returning for the retooled snowpiercer tv series ben what do we know yeah so um scott derrickson last year was hired to direct tnt's pilot for snowpiercer which is a an adaptation of a french graphic novel it was turned into a movie in i think 2013 or 2014 and um Josh Friedman, who created Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, he's also a writer on uh, James Cameron's Avatar sequels, uh, was the original showrunner of this new um, Snowpiercer show. But he was basically, excuse me, he was basically edged out of the show because TNT uh, basically like bumped him off of the project because they didn't think he would be compliant with what they wanted him to do. And they replaced him with uh, Graham Mason, who is the, or I'm sorry, Graham Manson, who is the uh, co-creator of Orphan Black that showed uh, BBC. So uh, Manson was hired about a month after that. And now I guess has like a completely different sense of what Snowpiercer should be as a TV show. And Scott Derrickson recently went to Twitter and said, the 72-page Snowpiercer TV pilot script by Josh Friedman is the best I've ever read. The feature-length pilot I made from that script may be my best work. The new showrunner has a radically different vision for the show. I am foregoing my option to direct the extreme reshoots. So it seems like there's a lot of behind-the-scenes struggles going on uh, with this uh, Snowpiercer show. Um, 
Friedman has been very, very vocal on Twitter about not being happy with the way that he was replaced. He also sort of lashed out at Graham Manson, uh, saying that, you know, a new showrunner brought in to take over somebody else's show should at least reach out to the original showrunner and, you know, talk to them about the show. And I guess that didn't happen. So that sort of rubbed Friedman the wrong way. Um, he's a very outspoken personality on Twitter. So, uh, yeah, this whole thing, it's kind of a bummer. I'm, I'm really curious about the collaboration that would have been between Friedman's script and Derrickson's direction. But it sounds like we're never going to see that now. And it, it's also worth mentioning that, you know, usually filmmakers, when something like this happens, you know, releases a statement of like, oh, I'm so sad. Things can't work. You know, I have moved on to another thing. I can't return, you, you know, and it's it's BS. But I think uh, Scott Derrickson's statement is pretty telling because he, he, you know, lays it on the line saying this is the best work he's ever produced and, uh, you know, says that they're doing extreme, what, extreme reshoots or extreme tooling, Uh, basically insinuating that it's not going to be anything like what they had originally planned. It it, it seems like he wants the word to be out there that, you know, you know, times are changing here and uh, it's not going to be what it was going to be uh, originally. Definitely. And it's it's unclear whether or not his name is still going to end up on the on the pilot as a credited director. But somebody asked him on Twitter, you know, like, oh, man, I, I can't wait to see it or something like that. And he's like, you're not going to see it, at least not not in the way that I intended it. So it, it sounds like he's definitely trying to separate himself from the show. I don't know if, you know, with DGA rules and all of that, if somebody else comes in for reshoots, if, if the, the ruling is going to be that Derrickson's name has to be on it. But I have to imagine that he is. Um, he's basically just backing away entirely from this entire process because it sounds like he really wanted to do what uh, what Friedman originally uh, intended, and that's not what's going to happen moving forward. We have a bit of breaking news. Uh, the, the other day on the podcast, we were talking about Top Gun, Maverick, and who was going to get ca- cast as the son of Goose. And one of the people in the running was Miles Teller, who both HT and I uh <laughs> did not like for that role because, mainly because you know he's kind of such a more more of a lead than a co-star um and it turns out Miles Teller has has won the role according to Variety Damn so it. yeah <laughs> Ben the size <laughs> I I almost guarantee and I speculated about this on that recent episode of the show I think this probably is because he's worked with Joseph Kaczynski the director before um, man, I was I was really afraid of this because Miles Teller was my third option in the in the list of three candidates that came out. So this is a bummer. Yeah, I'm kind of not surprised by this though because he was the biggest name of all the contenders, uh, aside from Ryan Gosling. And Gosling seems like it's not really his kind of role. So um, yeah, Miles Teller, it feels like it was almost expected, even though I would have preferred Glenn Powell. But you know, this is this is the the casting. Next up, let's talk about Westworld. I know I have not been happy with Westworld Season 2. Ben, you have never really liked this series. But the Westworld creators uh, insist they have an ending in mind for this whole series. And they aren't just making this along as they go on. Uh, Tell us about it. Yeah, so Lisa Joy, who's one of the co-creators and showrunners of the show alongside Jonah Nolan, said in a new interview that basically they have known where the show is going from the very beginning. She said... 
we have an ending in mind. We've had it from the pilot. It's very emotional, I think. I can't tell you exactly when that ending will come, but I think for every season, what we try to do is tell a chapter of the story that gives you closure and then opens a door to a new chapter. The overarching question of the series is, what will become of this new life form? So I feel it would be irresponsible to not have an end goal in mind. So that was her quote. Uh, you know, I guess that's somewhat reassuring because it at least... Uh, paints the picture that they know what the end game is going to be. But uh, as you alluded to, Peter, I'm I'm no longer uh, I, I'm completely off the Westworld train. And I in fact, I was so uh, upset and disappointed with the way that Westworld season two panned out that I'm unless they come back and announce that Westworld season three is the last season of the show and it's going to have a shortened episode count. I'm done with the show forever because I'm, I'm just I can't do it anymore see like I, I hated uh the ending of Westworld season two but I'm still in I still gotta watch it I still gotta find out if it gets better uh you know it might lose me in season three though because uh it, you know where they're headed might not be where I what I want to see but I, I I seriously doubt the idea that they have an ending in mind because I feel like if they had an ending in mind there would be, you know, something in the first few episodes that of the first season of Westworld that it will turn out weren't in that timeline and will be a big revelation. And Netflix would have, I mean, and uh, Reddit would have already figured this out by now. So uh, if I feel like if they had an ending in mind, uh, there would, you know, Reddit would already be on to it because they would have already, uh, you know, laid the, 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 the details in there. H.C., have you been watching Westworld at all? No, and I think at this point that I don't want to catch up. <laughs> yeah, because you lost it during the first season, right? You, like, yeah, I, if I lost during the first season, I don't think I can really handle the second season. And it's just kind of aggressive mystery solving and mystery boxing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> ben, do, do you do you actually think that they have an ending in mind? So my thought about this, reading this quote, is that I feel like they have an ending in mind in the same way that Damon Lindelof had an ending in mind for Lost, even when that show was sort of flailing a little bit. And I love Lost, and I actually love the ending of Lost, so I'm not here to to rehash that again. But I do remember them saying, while that show was on, that they knew what the final shot of the show was going to be, and without really giving away what that is it's just a mirror image of the very first shot of the entire series so you know they wanted like that closure and and that's an easy thing for uh, uh, writers to throw around in a room is like oh yeah you know let's come up with a way to get back to a point where we can have uh, the ending mirror the beginning and that's very you know uh, poetic and all of that stuff so I, th- I feel like maybe it's something along those lines with Westworld where they have like a very general sense of okay we want it to end kind of like this but they haven't exactly hashed out how they're going to get there yet what if the ending of Westworld is that this whole thing the entirety including the park and outside the park it's just a simulation on some alien spaceship you know, I wouldn't be surprised because it, it would have that huge like, OK, well, who gives a shit vibe? And that's sort of how how I went through most of season two. I mean, there were there were a couple high points in season two. But for the most part, that season was just, oh, man, it was it was bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am in agreement. And I think most of it uh, doesn't like I, I feel like there was a way to tell that story and it be 
at least more interesting, but like it was almost how Dunkirk felt to me where positioning that story in those three different time periods and mm-hmm. uh, kind of took you out of uh, like it, fragmenting it in that way made it confusing right and did not let me get invested into the characters and storyline uh it didn't really you know it was a clever it was clever and uh, the nolans are clever (laughs) but uh, other than that uh i don't think it really added anything to the story Uh, yeah i uh i I don't necessarily agree with dunkirk but i definitely agree when it comes to westworld and actually if you guys listen to decoding westworld which is a a westworld based podcast that we have uh, at slash film um joanna robinson the one of the co-hosts was talking a lot about that and how she hopes that in season three moving forward that uh westworld will have will have the courage to just tell a straightforward story instead of trying to purposefully obfuscate everything with these weird timelines yeah and uh, yeah, we should move on from this to our last story, and that is about the A Quiet Place sequel. And I guess there's probably no way to talk about this without having spoilers for A Quiet Place. So if you have not seen A Quiet Place, well, you should go out and see it. Uh, I'm not sure if it's still in theaters. Um, it, 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 it probably is coming to home video soon. Uh, but uh, if you, if you haven't seen A Quiet Place, tune out now. We're going to talk about A Quiet Place too. Okay, let's move on. Uh, A Quiet Place 2, we we are learning that John Krasinski is definitely going to be involved in this project. HD, what do we know? So the A Quiet Place producer, Andrew Form, who is actually making the press rounds right now because of the uh, upcoming Blu-ray and DVD release for this film on July 10th. So if you do want to see that movie, it comes out then. confirmed that John Krasinski, who directed and starred in A Quiet Place, is still involved in the sequel, which was greenlit by Paramount uh, almost immediately after the uh, success of A Quiet Place. So um, he said to Collider, we're figuring out what's at what everyone's involvement is going to be and what the actual next movie is going to be. The first one is so special to us that we really want to take our time with this and not brush anything. So he didn't give any details on how Christian C will be involved or whether he'll be starring in again, which is which will be a little bit hard to sort of work around since his character did die at the end of A Quiet Place. Uh, but he did confirm that he is still involved and will be uh, involved significantly in A Quiet Place 2. Or a quieter place, as you joke, <laughs> Peter. Place. Or yeah, yeah, another another quiet place. Um, what? Um, how do you think Krasinski is going to be involved? Like, do you think he'd want to come back to direct? I mean, obviously, if that could uh, redeem him with uh, some people he'd want to re- be redeemed with uh, on his, uh, you know, the sequel to his acclaimed movie. Uh, ben, do you have any ideas? Um, you know, I think a lot of the speculation about a quiet place too was that maybe. Um, the movie could take place sort of on a parallel timeline as the first movie and and maybe tackle uh, a different family who's living in that same area or maybe another area or something. So like theoretically, maybe the entire family that appeared in the first movie could cross paths with the the characters that might show up in A Quiet Place 2. That's the only way that I can think of for Krasinski to appear on camera as far as whether or not he's going to be involved as a director. I don't know. I mean, he has like a few different projects that he's working on right now. And the 
juice that he earned from the first film has sort of uh, given him, uh, you know, a standing that he didn't previously have in Hollywood. So I would not be surprised if he just, you know, slapped an executive producer credit on the sequel and, you know, became was still involved that way and maybe like oversaw the story or something. But uh, I I don't know if he's going to come back to direct this. What do you think, Peter? Do you want to see him either in front of or behind the camera again? Um. You know, I, I mean, I definitely want to see him involved in the writing. I'm not sure if I, I want to see more horror from Krasinski. I want to see what else he can do. But uh, as for what the plot would be, like, my first thought is, like, you know, make it a prequel of some kind. Uh, you know, you could do kind of like a whole, uh, you know, another family comes along and wants to hide out in their hideout. But then, like, then you run into the whole thing of is this a prequel? You know who's not going to die. Mm-hmm. Um and that that's not that exciting at all. But maybe, maybe like you said, maybe it could be a parallel uh t- timeline of some kind, or maybe showing us pre and after the events of Quiet Place. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I that really... would be cool because then maybe then maybe uh Emily Blunt's character and the daughter whose name escapes me at the moment, maybe they could come to that other family uh and share with them the thing that they learn at the end of the first quiet place which is how to defeat the creatures maybe that would be a cool way to get them involved in like a small supporting role or something i don't know yeah no that 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 could make sense it could you know start off as a prequel go into a parallel track and then end up with uh them meeting up with the people again okay anyways i think you guys have been watching too much westworld (laughs) (laughs) no if it was westworld they would be all those timelines would be shown at the same time. We wouldn't know that they are not the same timeline. <laughs> and then it would be a big reveal in the, in, in the last 10 minutes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, have to keep a, we'll have to keep an eye on this because I'm very curious in in how Krasinski is going to play into this the sequel. I feel like... Uh, you know, this was his launching film. The a Quiet Place was kind of uh, his launching film as a director, even though he had done previous stuff like this. Really, kind of put his name on the map as a filmmaker. And I, I'm guessing he doesn't want to return to it in a big capacity. I feel like he would want to move on to bigger and better things. And you know, sequels don't end up usually turning out that well. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking he's going to be involved as a producer, maybe a writer, probably not director, and we maybe will get a cameo, but that's about it. But um, yeah, that that does it for today's slash film daily. HD, where can people find more of your work online? You can find me every day at slashfilm.com, and I'm on Twitter at htranbui. Ben, where can we find you? You can find me writing at slashfilm.com as well, and I am on Twitter at Ben Pears. You can find more about all the stories mentioned on today's show on SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Uh, this podcast will be taking a day off tomorrow because, to celebrate the July 4th holiday, but normally we are published every weekday uh, on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, please send us your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Thursday. <laughs>